Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. As you look through the pages of Scripture, it is interesting to see the people that God uses for His glory. It is interesting to see how He takes them with their flaws, how they rise above who they are in many cases, and are instruments of God for a specific purpose. As you look at the women that are identified in Scripture, you see how God molds them and uses them in a very special way. Just think where we'd all be without Eve. Right? And God used her as the beginning of all things and... Look at the result. God used Sarah, who was 90 years old. Think about this. Sarah was 90. Abraham was 99 to bring forth Isaac, a son of promise. God used Hannah. Hannah, who thought she had been sidestepped, You remember that Elkanah and his husband had two wives. And the first wife had children, and Hannah said, I don't have any kids. Elkanah, being the sensitive guy that he was, says, yeah, but you got me. And God blessed, and Hannah brought forth Samuel, who was the first judge of Israel. Here in Joshua chapter 2, we are going to look at a familiar character in Scripture, Rahab. And I am calling her an unlikely woman of faith. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work our way through Joshua chapter 2, and I'm going to give you some handles so that you can kind of put some thoughts together. Then we're going to go to Joshua chapter 6 for the rest of the story, and then we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 1. That's our plan this morning. And after each of these handles, I'm going to just make a few applications, all right? Because some of us today, man or woman, may be seated here and thinking, God's forgotten all about me. He could never use me because, and yet I believe in, Rahab's life, we recognize that God can and will use any of us if we are just faithful to him. And that's our first point of application. God can and will use any of us, all of us, if we are faithful to him. Now we're going to start with a little bit of geography. And in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we have this all laid out for us. Look at the text, will you please? And Joshua the son of Nun, now stop right there. You'll remember that God led his people out of Egypt toward a promised land. And Moses sent in 12 spies to see what God is going to give them, right? And they came back and they said, man, it's a good land. And it was so good that it took two of them to bear a bunch of grapes. Can you imagine 
You talk about Sherry's berries. We have these huge bunch of grapes. Look, this is the land flowing of milk and honey. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can go in and possess it, and God's going to give it to us. But for some reason, they took a vote. Ten said no, and two said go. Those of you who have learned the Bible chronologically will remember that. And because ten said no, God said, all right, this generation won't get there. And you're going to be wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And so we find the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Now they're headed toward the promised land. And the promised land is on the other side of the Jordan. The Jordan River is all that separates them from that which God was going to give them and the wilderness wanderings. Moses doesn't get to go in. You remember that. He got to see it, but he didn't get to go in. And so now Joshua is leading the people of Israel. And they're about ready to go in. Are you still in Joshua 2? Verse 1 again. Now Joshua the son of Nun sent two spies secretly from Shittim as spies. Sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies. Saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. Stop right there. So Joshua says, all right, we got to figure out how we're going to deal this. I remind you that Joshua was a military leader. And so he sent a force in front of him, and he says, let's go find out what we're up against here. Now, they're camped at Shittim. Shittim is about seven miles east of the Jordan River. Remember, the Jordan River separates the wilderness wanderings from the promised land. And they're going to Jericho. Jericho is about seven miles west of the Jordan River. Now, did you figure out how far apart they are? Seven plus seven is 14 miles. Very good. You get an A on that today. So they're not very, it's a day's journey. And God is saying, all right. We're going to see what this is all about. And so Joshua sends two men in and says, go look at this place. Find out what Jericho is all about. And it was a walled city. It was a huge place. And so they go from Shittim. They go to Jericho. And something happens. The last part of verse 1. And they went and came into a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. That's interesting, isn't it? I, I, I think it's God who realizes that two strange men wouldn't be any exception going to this house. It was a rather usual occurrence. And so these guys go and they look at Jericho. Now there's something else about Rahab's house that you need to know and we find that in verse 15. Jump down there, will you please? Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house was built on the city wall so that she lived on the wall. That, that's significant. If you're going to go scope out a city, you want to be in the best vantage point possible. 
So these guys go. They find Rahab's house. They go in there. It's on the wall. They can see the whole city. They can get up there. They can know what's going on. This is a God thing. And God has sent them to the right place at the right time to do just what he wants them to do. Okay, here's the application. God has us at the right place at the right time to do exactly what he wants us to do. Do you believe that this morning? There are no mistakes. No matter where you are, no matter what your circumstance is, even if you live on the wall, God has you at the right place at the right time to do exactly what he wants you to do. And I ought to get an amen out of that. I hope that encourages you today. And all of us are positioned right where God wants us. Well, let's go on. Not only do we see a strategic geography, we also see the spies as guests. I mean, this is simple, right? The spies come into Rahab's house. And Rahab knew who they were. She probably knew her whole clientele. Now, I, I don't, don't say I'm not building up Rahab's profession. But I, I'm telling you, these men were not mysterious to Rahab. And we'll get that later in the text. And so they come into her house, and word gets out, verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho. Now, the king was not only the political leader of the city, he was also the military leader. He was the guy who had all of the resources to take care of any problem within the city. He didn't have to go through Congress. They didn't have to take a vote. The king was the king. Politically, militarily, the king was in control. And the king hears that these guys have come into the city. Now, I don't know whether the king was watching Rahab's house specifically or not. I don't know if one of Rahab's clients had gone to the king. I, I don't know how he found out, but he found out. And the verse says, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out these guys. Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. Now, Rahab knew exactly who these guys were. We don't know what other guys were in the house. Scripture doesn't tell us. But the king specifically identifies the spies and says, we want those guys. Bring them out so we can deal with them. They're here secretly. They're here covertly. They want to spy out the land. They want to take us over. We want to get rid of We want to get ahead of these guys. Now, I can just imagine what the king wanted to do with them, can't you? Can you imagine what the interrogation process might have been? I don't know if they waterboarded back then or not. But I'll tell you what, 
the king was not concerned about not using enhanced interrogation. The king was going to get the information out of these guys one way or another. Verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. (laughs) Yeah, right. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan. They knew where they were going to. As far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. The spies as guests. Everybody in the nation knew Israel was on the other side of the Jordan. I mean, it's only seven miles. I'm sure about everybody, if the king knew it, knew that there are a couple of strangers in town here to spy out the land. Now, I'm not sure how they were identified. Maybe they were identified by their their looks. I don't know. But the king knows about it, and he says, all right, Rahab, give these guys up. We don't know if the king offered Rahab an incentive. Give these guys up, and I'll never bother your business again. We don't know if there was a reward. Give these guys up, and I'll give you enough money so that you can get out of business. We don't know. But we do know that the spies were considered guests of Rahab, and she took them up, and she put them on the roof, and she hid them in the flax. And then she lied about it. What do you think about that? Is lying ever justified? How about for the greater good? Is it ever okay to tell a little white lie? I want you to know something here. We will see in just a few verses that Rahab believed God was going to send his people in and conquer the land. Rahab had some faith. And I don't mean to excuse Rahab's action, but I will tell you this. She was young in her faith. We need to be careful that when people make a profession of faith, we don't expect them to be all grown up in the faith. And I'm not excusing Rahab's lying. But what we want to look at here is Rahab's faith, not her ethics. It's not okay to lie. Lying is an abomination to the Lord. Scripture tells us that we are to speak the truth in love. A lie is a lie, and Rahab's action was wrong. 
even though she may have had noble intentions, she still sinned. But I'm not sure that Rahab knew how wrong lying was. In her culture, lying was just part of the deal. You smiled and you told people what you wanted them to hear. And then you went and did what you wanted to do. In our lives, Scripture says, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth to not, it is sin. And can I just throw this one in? If you know to do right and you don't do it, it's sin. And if you know it's wrong and you do do it, it's sin. So we're not excusing Rahab here. But the Bible praises Rahab for her faith. Not for her character in this particular instance. Now, so what? What's our application? You know, it's interesting all the people that God brings into your life and mine. And you wonder, why are they here? <laughs> here here's two people who come into Rahab's life. And she figures out pretty quickly why they're there. But the application for you and me is God brings people into our lives not by accident, for purpose, but for a purpose. Whoever they are. They may be like you, they may be different from you. But don't miss opportunities that you may have to minister to the people God brings into your life. Because it certainly is an opportunity given by God. As we go on in the text, we discover that Rahab knew the superiority of God. Are you still there? Verse 8. Men lay down, she came up to the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt before you. Well, that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? How did she know that? Well, I think the text helps us understand. For we have heard. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Now stop right there. When did that take place? At least 40 years ago, right? We heard about this thing. 40 years of history. We heard about what God did as you came out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. You went through, and then he drowned all of Pharaoh's chariots. Who told her that story? Now, I don't know how old Rahab was. But I would suggest to you that she heard that story as a young child. Because she probably wasn't much over 40. I mean, we don't know. But that story had been circulated about God's faithfulness to his people. Can I stop right there and make an application? 
Circulate the stories of God's faithfulness in your life. Tell them. Share with your family how God has worked in a very, don't miss it. Identify the God things in a very special way in your life. And praise God for what he has done. Amen? I have a brother. Actually, I have two brothers. A brother who lives in Indianapolis and is the regional director for Fellowship Christian Athletes. Last Sunday, he was headed from Indianapolis to Fort Wayne to preach. As he's driving, his low fuel light comes on. Now you say, uh-oh, you haven't heard the rest of the story. So he pulls into a station, pumps 20 bucks in his tank, goes in and discovers he has forgotten his billfold. Says, no problem. I'll call my wife. I'll have her give me a credit card number. Easy peasy. They wouldn't take his credit card number over the phone. So he goes back out to his car trying to figure out, I don't know if he was going to look for 20 bucks in the seat cushions or what he was going to do. But he's a bit forlorn. And the person on the other side of the pump, a gal, looks at him and says, Sir, you look like you're having a bad day. Remember, he's going to preach. And so he tells her this story very quickly, and she says to him, Would 20 bucks help you? That was a God thing. Rehearse the God things in your life. Does your family know your salvation testimony? I tell this to families all the time. If they don't, they need to know. Because someday they're going to put you in a box. And they're going to call some preacher. And if the preacher's worth his salt, he will say to the family, how'd mom, how'd dad, how'd sister, how'd brother receive Christ as personal Savior? And you know the response I get a lot? Well, we're not real sure, but we think it happened as a young child. Share the story. Make a legacy. Recognize what God has done so that his faithfulness is carried from generation to generation to generation. You go to the book of Judges, and we'll not take time this morning, and I'm running a rabbit trail, I know it. You go to the book of Judges, and in three generations, the people did what was right in their own eyes and left God. You know why? Because they had not been told what God's faithfulness had done in their parents' and grandparents' lives. Do you see it here? Hey, we've heard it. Our hearts are melting. We know what God did. Now Rahab identifies another incident. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Now, you need to look at history a little bit. 
Sihon was a king into whose territory the children of Israel went, and they contacted him and said, hey, we're not going to touch anything. We just want to go through. And he said, nope, you're not going through. And so they just dealt with him. Og was a king that came up against Israel, and they dealt with him. Actually, God dealt with him. And Rahab said, we've heard about this. You dealt with those, but you, you can do that with us. Verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above and on the earth beneath. And all God's people said, Woohoo! That's our God! And Rahab, because she had been told of God's working in the lives of his people, recognized that. Listen, The only way people are going to identify our God is if we tell them. And if we don't tell them, nobody's going to. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here's our application, and I've gone through it a little bit. To whom have you rehearsed God's faithfulness in your life? Hmm? Who have you told recently? God did this. God did that. We have a great God. And the superior greatness of God was evidenced in Rahab's life and the people of Jericho. Now, Jericho was a walled city. Remember that? The walls were thick enough, history tells us, to drive chariots across. And I doubt that they had potholes on them. I think the king took care of the potholes. They fixed the... Oh, I'm not even going to go there. And our hearts melted. Man, when you hear what God does, you can't do anything but understand how superior our God is. How great He is. How wonderful He is. Aren't you thankful that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Aren't you thankful when the walls around you don't seem to be coming down? Our God still God? Verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my, my father's house and give me a sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Here's the supplication. We know you guys are coming into the country. You know, we know you're going to defeat us. But I've helped you. How about helping me? Verse 14. And the, med said, the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, Then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly with you. Jump down to verse 18. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie a scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and your father's household. Jump down to verse 20. 
But if you tell this business of ours, then you shall be then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied a scarlet cord to the window. There were two qualifications. Don't tell anybody that we were here and why we were here and tie a scarlet cord. That's what you got to do, Rahab. You don't do either of those two. We're no longer responsible. And so Rahab has her prayer granted. And God's going to bless her faithfulness to him. Now we need to jump over to chapter 6 very quickly this morning. Because that's the rest of the story. As you end chapter 2, the spies confirm God's power. They cross the Jordan. They circumcise the people. They celebrate the Passover commander of the Lord's army comes in front of them and says, we're going to take the land and I'm going to help you. And then we get to chapter 6 and we find the fall of Jericho and you know the narrative. God says to Joshua, I've got this crazy plan. Just march around the city once for six days. And on the seventh day, and I, I think it interesting that one of those days had to be the Sabbath. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times, blow the trumpets, and the walls come tumbling down. That's the greatness of our God, right? Look with me at verse 22 of Joshua chapter 6. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. I think it's interesting she's still called the prostitute, don't you? Hmm. And bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Wow. God kept his word. Aren't you thankful God keeps his promises? <laughs> Even to prostitutes? Prostitutes of faith. But even unto unlikely people who are people of faith. Now I said that was the rest of the story. And it is as far as Rahab and Jericho are concerned. But there's more very quickly. Matthew chapter 1, please. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this genealogy, there are five women who are identified. And I want you to note them, will you please? Verse 3, Tamar. Remember who Tamar was? She was the wife of Jacob's eldest son. 
her husband died, and Jacob kind of neglected her. So she played the prostitute, and as Jacob came down the road, she seduced him and ended up being pregnant by Jacob. By Judah. Thank you, John. And yet she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Do you find that interesting? Jump down to verse 5. We have Rahab. Who was Salmon's husband. The father of Boaz. Remember who Boaz was? Well, if you don't remember, look at the rest of the verse and you'll find Ruth. Remember who Ruth was? She was a Moabite. She wasn't even Jewish. And yet she is listed in the genealogy of Christ. Jump down to verse 6. A woman identified simply as the wife of Uriah. Remember who that was? That was Bathsheba. You remember what happened? David should have been out on the battlefield, but he wasn't. He was in the palace, and he looked over, and he saw this gal taking a swim. Yeah. Brought her in, had relationships with her, found out she was pregnant, brought her husband home to try to cover it up, when he couldn't do that, sent him back out and had him killed. And then the last one that is listed is Mary in verse 16. Wow. Look at what the faithfulness of God can do. From Tamar to Rahab to Ruth to Bathsheba to Mary. So I ask you, what can God's faithfulness do in your life? We have a great God, amen? And it is God's faithfulness that accomplishes His purpose as we trust Him and live in faith before Him. Rahab, an unlikely example of, of faith, whom God used to help God's people conquer Jericho, and whom God used in the lineage of his son, Jesus Christ. I hope that encourages you today. Great is his faithfulness.